to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Hopefully you have found your way to Luke chapter 8. We are continuing in the sermon series that we began over a year ago. That sermon series called The Story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. We began it in the fall 2021, all right? We take breaks from time to time for holidays and other reasons, but we're back into it today, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. The title of my message today is Beyond My Control. Beyond my control. You've heard of that phrase. Have you ever been in a situation that was beyond your control? Every single one of us have, haven't we? How did it make you feel? (laughs) It depends on the circumstance, right? Most of the time when we think of situations beyond our control, we may think of a crisis, we may think of a situation, something needs to be done, something needs to happen, and I've tried everything I know to do, it's not working, I don't know what to do, this is beyond my control, I need a miracle. How many of you have faced situations like that? Yeah, I'm not going to ask how many of you are facing situations like that right now, but I guarantee you that there are people today that are facing situations like that that are right here in our midst or maybe watching online. And can I tell you that the message today is for all of us. It's an encouragement. It's a challenge. But I can tell you it has a very special impact and a special promise for those of you that are going through difficulty. But can I tell you, if you're not going through difficulty right now, if you're not facing a situation that is beyond your control, chances are you either just came out of one or you're getting ready to go into one. Because that's kind of what life is all about. But you know, every once in a while, I don't know about you, but I find myself in a situation that is beyond my control and I'm glad. Not because it's a crisis, because I don't want the responsibility of solving the problem. And there's nothing I can do. It's like, well, it's up to God or somebody else. It's beyond my control. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to deal with it. But you know what? When it's a situation in my life, when it's something I desperately need to see changed, when it's a crisis, when it's that unexpected news, when it's that, that, that difficulty, when it's that surprise that oh, this is, I didn't want to know about this, I didn't want this to happen, that's when we need something else to happen. That's when we need someone else to step in. And we're going to talk about how Jesus is that person who can step into situations that are beyond our control. I was going to say it later, but I'll just go ahead and say it now, that when things are beyond our control, they are never beyond his control. They're never beyond his control. So we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 8. Just a few short verses. It's one of the more well-known stories in God's Word. But let's just go ahead and read through it right now. Luke chapter 8. Starting in verse 22. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go aside to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke And rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? 
And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. I want to give you a little bit of background about this story and the circumstances of it to help you understand what's going on. I mean, the basic story is pretty easy to understand. But Jesus and his disciples are on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Those of you going to Israel this week, I'm sure that one of your stops will be somewhere along the Sea of Galilee. So you get to see exactly what we're talking about today. And I envy you for that. But the Sea of Galilee is located in the northern part of Israel. And it's very, very low. It's 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by very, very high hills. And beyond those hills, mountains. It's not a very big sea. In fact, it's actually a lake. It's about nine miles high, seven miles wide. Not literally high, but you know what I'm talking about, north to south. This is the place where Peter and James and John and Andrew have been fishermen for most all their lives. On the west side is Capernaum, a city where Jesus has kind of made his headquarters, where he goes out to minister in lots of different places and he comes back and he goes out and minister and he comes back. This is where those four men that I mentioned, four of Jesus' well-known disciples that were fishermen, where they lived, where their families were. They were used to this lake. This is the lake that they fished on. And they were used to the volatile nature of the weather in the area. You see, because the lake is so low and the hills and the mountains are so high around it, the lake water would get very, 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 very warm. But yet up on the heights, the air was cool. And coming down out of those hills and mountains were all these ravines and valleys. And just on the spur of the moment, many times you could kind of see it coming, but sometimes you couldn't. The wind, the cooler air would sink and would come down those ravines and valleys into that area where the Sea of, of, of Galilee is. And that warmer uh, water, the, air, the warmer air coming off the water would mix with that cold air coming off of the hills and the mountains. And it would cause these turbulent storms that would just spring up terribly turbulent and violent storms with waves as high as 20 feet. This boat that they're in is only about 30 feet long, a little bit less than that. Just big enough for uh, for Jesus and his 12 disciples. And these waves would come and when the storm would finally fade away, it would take up to 24 to 48 hours before those waves would finally settle down. That's kind of how things worked on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and his brother Andrew, James, and John learned to recognize the signs and they would not go out on the water when a storm was coming if they could help it, if they knew that it was coming. But here we are in the middle of Jesus' ministry and he wants to go to the other side and we're going to see, God willing, next week that Jesus has an appointment on the other side for some spiritual warfare. There's a man who's possessed by a legion of demons that needs to be delivered. Unless God changes my mind, that's where we're headed next week. And so Jesus tells his disciples, he says, let's go to the other side. They climb in the boat. Jesus has been ministering. He is exhausted and he falls asleep in the back of the boat. Everything starts out fine for a while. But then they get partway across the lake. We don't know exactly how far they are. And this storm comes up out of seemingly nowhere. And it's beyond their control. And dealing with it is beyond their control. 
The waves are humongous. The water is filling the boat. It says they were beginning to be filled with water. It wasn't saying that they drank too much water. It was saying the boat was being filled with water. And I guarantee every single one of them were bailing as quick as they could. It didn't do any good. It was filling up quicker than they could empty it. They were sure that they were going to perish. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. Have you ever felt like Jesus was asleep in the back of your boat when you're going through a storm? We'll talk some more about that in just a moment. They finally come back to Jesus and say, Master, Master, wake up. We're doomed. (laughs) We're perishing. I don't know what they expected him to do because he'd never done before what he's getting ready to do. They'd seen him heal people and, and do all kinds of other things, um, you know, that were supernatural. They, they knew he was someone special from God, that God worked in and through him, but he'd never done anything like this. Maybe they just thought an extra hand at bailing would help. I don't know. But they said, wake up. We are perishing. And Jesus gets up, looks around, and it says he rebukes the wind and the waves And notice it says that it is immediately calm. It didn't take 24 to 48 hours for these waves to kind of settle down, but immediately it is calm. And these disciples are overwhelmed with fear and awe. Who is this guy we've been traveling with for the last little while, for the last year or so? Who really is he? We knew he was somebody special. We knew that God was working in him and through him. But this is like nothing we ever would have anticipated. And that's a question that Luke is wanting his readers to wrestle with as he wrote this gospel almost 2,000 years ago. It's a question he wants all of his readers to wrestle with all down through history. And as we've talked about a couple of different times since we started this sermon series, that's why he wrote this book. He wanted people who had it to read it and they would have to wrestle with, who is this Jesus? He wants to present the truth to them that he is God himself come in the flesh. Come to die on a cross that our sins could be forgiven. And after being buried, he rose again and ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. But he kind of reveals it little by little by little by little. And this is another step in that process of his story to say Jesus is a whole lot more than just a smart rabbi. Teacher is what rabbi means. He's a whole lot more than just another prophet. He's a whole lot more than just a man that God has chosen to work in and through. We'll get into that a little bit more. But there's three points that I want to bring from this story that are true from the story, but apply to our lives today. As we have or maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus, as we face storms of life, I think we're all familiar with that metaphor, with that picture, storms of life, and how we deal with them, and whether or not we invite God, Jesus, to get involved. Three main truths I want to share with you from this story. The first one is this, is that traveling with Jesus doesn't exempt you from storms. Traveling with Jesus doesn't exempt you from storms. In this story, we see the disciples. They have chosen to follow Jesus. Jesus has called them. They are now his disciples. They are his students. They are his followers. They want to learn everything Jesus has to teach them. Back then, a disciple was not just somebody who says, I got to learn some stuff to store it up here. 
A disciple is someone who says, I want to learn the truth they have to present, but I so admire and respect what I see in that person, I want to become just like them. It was an idea of not only learning what they knew, but becoming the kind of person that they were. And the disciples have been following Jesus. They've been traveling with Jesus. They've experienced some phenomenal things. They'd experienced some hardship too. But it wasn't always a bed of roses, as the old saying goes. Because traveling with Jesus doesn't exempt you from storms. And the same thing is true today. Sometimes people get the wrong idea, whether they just assume it or they've been taught wrong or whatever. It's like, you know what? As you go through life, you need Jesus. You know, the main reason is because we're sinners separated from God. And by turning to Jesus, we can have salvation. We can have our sins forgiven because his death on the cross paid for that. We certainly need that, the most basic need we have. And that's all true. But sometimes there's this idea that, well, if you turn to Jesus and just surrender everything to him, everything's going to smooth out. It's all going to be great. Ah, you might have little problems here and there, but basically life's going to be all right, you know? How many of you have discovered that to be true? Since you accepted Jesus in your life, you've not had any more troubles. Lisa, you haven't had any more troubles? I think you raised your hand too soon. Have you experienced that? You know, many times it's our troubles that bring us to Jesus, and that's great. Sometimes that's why God lets the troubles come our way, to hopefully cause us to turn to Him. But you know what? As we decide to travel with Jesus, it doesn't mean we're exempt from storms, because storms are a normal part of life. Obviously, I'm using this picture, I'm using this metaphor for the difficulties that come our way. Difficulties are part of everyday life. I've said this many times, but Jesus made many promises. And we love to claim Jesus' promises, but there was one promise Jesus made that we don't want to claim. And that's the promise that he made in John 16, He's talking to his disciples about all the difficulties they're going to face. And he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have tests. You will have trials. You will have temptations. You will have storms. But take heart. I've overcome the world. He says, in this world, you're going to face all kinds of difficult stuff. But you can have peace in the midst of it. Because I've overcome all those things. The idea being he's overcome all those things with an impact on our lives. But as I said, that's the promise we don't claim. We don't ever go to God and say, God, you know what? You promised a lot of hardships and I've not been having near enough. You know, so I don't, I don't expect you to. I don't encourage you to claim that particular promise. But just be aware it's true. When you travel with Jesus, it doesn't exempt you from storms because storms are a normal part of life. And storms can come into our lives from a number of reasons. And we see uh, two for sure, maybe a third one in this story. I'm sorry, two... Uh, uh, Three in Scripture, two from this story. Let me get that right. And the first one we don't, don't see in this story, but it's very, very true, and that is that storms will come because of disobedience. If we are a follower of Jesus, if we are traveling with Jesus, and we disobey Him, 
we disobey God and his plan for our life, it can bring storms. It's just a natural consequence. If we give ourselves over to sin, if we run from what God has for us, if we um, ignore the, the, the plans and purposes God has for us, it can bring a storm to our lives, which most often is just a consequence. But even if it isn't a consequence of our actions, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 that God's a good father. He's going to discipline his kids if they get out of line. You know, we see this in Scripture in the story of Jonah, don't we? Jonah was a prophet of God. God told him to go to Nineveh to bring a specific message. And in Jonah's mind, he had very good reasons not to do that. They were the hated enemy. They were wicked. They were cruel. They were evil. And without God's protection, he was in a lot of danger. Whatever his reasons were inside of his heart... Still didn't justify disobeying God, but he went running the opposite direction. He got on a ship to head to Tarshish, which was probably about 1,000, 1,500 miles, the opposite direction of Nineveh. And you're probably familiar with the story. As he's on that ship, God sends a storm. And in the process of that story, God uses that storm to get Jonah's attention and get him back on the right path. And can I tell you, sometimes as we're traveling with Jesus, if we get into disobedience, this is not something to try to beat us over the heads like you better obey. But just be aware, our disobedience can bring storms to our lives. But God's purpose is to get us back on track. As I said, this story isn't a picture of that because the disciples are not being disobedient. But I felt that I should include this because this is a very important um, aspect of why storms come into our lives because there may be some people of you, some of you that are here, some of you that are watching online and there's some storms in your life and you can honestly look at your life and say, you know what, I deserve this because I brought it on myself. This situation is terrible. It's a crisis. I need some help. It's beyond my control. But you know what? It's my own fault. And I just want to reassure you that even if that is so, God still wants to help you with that. Because if you are his child and you've made a mistake deliberately or you kind of just fell into it, whatever, he still loves you and he may have allowed the storm to come to get you back on the right track to discipline you, but he wants to help you with what you're facing. He wants to help you get back on the track and get beyond this. A second reason why storms can come to those who are traveling with Jesus is that storms will not only come because of disobedience, but storms will come because of obedience. You say, man, (laughs) no matter what we do, we're in trouble, aren't we? Well, if we live in this fallen, sinful world, at times we will be. Like I said, it was a promise of Jesus. In this particular case, it was Jesus' instructions and their willingness to follow his instructions that led them right into the storm. Jesus said, let us go to the other side. They said, okay, Jesus, whatever you want. And they do exactly what he said. And it led them straight into a storm. Can I tell you that as we travel with Jesus, as we live for him, as we follow him, and we're trying our hardest to walk in obedience because we live in a sinful, fallen world, we're going to face opposition. We're still going to face difficulty. There's still going to be storms that rage around us because of the sin and the sinful nature of people around us and the evil that is there in the world. And even walking in obedience, we are going to face storms. But keep in mind, they were doing exactly what Jesus said. And in the middle of his will, they faced a storm that was beyond their control. 
So today I believe that God might would want to tell some of you that are facing some storms, and it's like, God, what did I do to deserve this? I've been looking at my heart. I've been trying to serve you. God, do you not love me? And just let you know, listen, no, it's just part of life. God still loves you. If you've honestly been sincere in your heart, God, is there something I've done wrong? Is there something I've got to work out and he's not said anything to you? It could be that you're doing the right thing and you're just facing this difficulty because you're being obedient. We see this in other stories in Scripture. There's another time, a couple chapters later, uh, in Jesus' life, where Jesus has fed the 5,000 and he wants to go up in the hills to pray and he tells his disciples to go out and cro- go ahead and cross back the lake on the other side and they set out. Jesus isn't with them this time. And another great storm arises and, it, and, and it's right after he told them to go and they went and a storm arises and you may be familiar with this story. Jesus ends up coming walking on the water and Peter says, hey, let me walk out to you and Peter, wa- that whole story, that was a result of walking in obedience, doing what Jesus told him to do and it went right into a storm. I think of the story of Paul's life in Acts. After he came to know Jesus and he's serving him faithfully and he faced, talk about somebody who's following Jesus and traveling, literally traveling all over the Roman Empire with Jesus. Not literally, but Jesus in his heart. And he faced problem after problem after problem doing exactly what God called him to do. Tribulation. He was stoned several times I don't mean with recreational materials. I'm talking about with rocks. Some of you got that. He was shipwrecked. The story I just read in my devotions the last couple of days, he's on his way to Rome on a boat and it gets in a big storm. He's on the path God has for him. Experiences a shipwreck, but God brought him through. So we see it in the scripture. We see it in story after story that storms will come even as a result of obedience. And the third thing, and there may be others, is that storms will come because of spiritual warfare. You see, as we live this life, as we follow Jesus, as we travel with Jesus, and we're trying to walk in obedience, sometimes we mess up, we get back on track. Whatever it is, we have an enemy that is out to get us. We have an enemy that wants us to trip up and fall. He was an, we have an enemy that wants, us to cause, wants to cause us to abandon Jesus, to stop traveling with Jesus. And there's a little hint of that even in this story. You say, well, where is that in this story? Remember in the story where it says that they woke Jesus and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And it says that Jesus got up and he rebuked the storm. He didn't just say he calmed the storm. He rebuked it. A storm by itself does not have a personality. A storm by itself does not have a conscience essence that can be talked to and controlled through, you know, commands. Many Bible scholars believe, and again, this is just a possibility. It doesn't say clearly in Scripture that perhaps there are spiritual forces at work behind this storm. It's not just a natural storm. It is a natural storm, but maybe it has been caused or it has been inflamed. It has been stirred up by spiritual forces, knowing Jesus is on a mission and trying to stop him in that mission. But whether we see that in this story or not, the truth is still there. That as followers of Jesus, as those who are traveling with Jesus, we will face storms, not just because of disobedience or obedience, but because we have an enemy that wants to come against us. The good news is that the Bible says God fights for us and God fights with us. And he's given us a lot of instructions about spiritual warfare and spiritual armor and that's a subject and a topic for another time. 
But sometimes storms come because of spiritual warfare. So when you follow Jesus, when you decide to travel with Jesus, you will find yourself in storms. You will find yourself in situations beyond your control. And the question arises, what are you going to do? And that brings me to the second point here. And that is turning to Jesus is the right thing to do in your storms. Turning to Jesus is the right thing to do in your storms. Now, that one may be pretty obvious. If we do have a relationship with God through Jesus, if we are following him, if we are traveling with him, that hopefully will become the natural response for us. But sometimes it's not. But we need to know that is the right thing to do. When you find yourself in a storm, you don't have to just struggle along. You know, God calls us to do what we can do about the issues of our life. But we can turn to Jesus. We should turn to Jesus. Turning to Jesus is the right thing to do in your storms. And let me give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, because Jesus is human. Because Jesus is human, he understands what you're going through. How important that can be. Have you ever gone through something that's like nobody else understands me? They don't understand what I'm going through. And maybe you've tried to explain. Maybe you've tried to find somebody who you can relate to, who can relate to you, who can provide some kind of empathy, not just pity or compassion, which compassion is great, but empathy means they feel along with you because they understand what you're going through. But there are times where we go through stuff, it's like nobody really understands, but the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus does. Yes, Jesus is God come to earth, but he was fully human. We see it in this story. He gets into the boat. He says, let's go to the other side. He promptly falls asleep. He's exhausted. When we read the story of Jesus' life, we see that Jesus faced weariness, exhaustion, hunger, thirst, loneliness, rejection, abandonment, pain, physical, emotional, probably just about any kind of pain you can think of. Jesus faced it. And the Bible says that even though Jesus' primary reason for coming to earth and becoming man was so that he could die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, one of the other reasons was so that he could experience what we experience, so he could relate to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That word for tempt is also the same word that's used for test, trial, the difficulties that we go through. Jesus faced the same thing. He didn't ever sin. But he faced the same things we go through. So as we go through difficulties, as we face storms, please understand, even if you feel like nobody else can truly relate, can truly understand, Jesus does. And Jesus can. So because Jesus is human, he understands what you're going through. So turning to him is the right thing to do. And can I tell you that even though at the end of this story, Jesus asked, well, where is your faith? We'll get to that in just a little bit. Please understand, we can be honest with Jesus about our fears and about our doubts. The disciples came to Jesus. Of course, what else are they going to be in this situation? And they're like, Jesus, Master, we're, we're doomed. We're perishing. We're not going to make it. 
Do whatever you can do. I'm throwing some extra things in there that might be going through their minds. We can always come to Jesus. We can always turn to him in our storms. But not only because Jesus is human and he understands what we're going through, it's the right thing to turn to him because he's also divine. And because Jesus is divine, he can do something about it. Divine, most of you probably know what that means. It means he's God. He was fully human. He is fully human, but he's fully God. And because Jesus is divine, he can do something about the storms. In this case, they wake him up. He immediately stands up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and they calm immediately. As I said before, this is a new experience for the disciples. They had seen him heal a bunch of people. They had seen him deliver people from demonic spirits. They had seen him do other things. They knew that he was someone special, maybe a prophet, someone sent from God. God was working in him, through him. They're beginning to wonder, maybe he's our Messiah. But this is something totally new. You see, as you look at the stories of God's people all through the Old Testament, God used other people to heal people and, you know, to bring God's message and and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus certainly stands in a good line of tradition along those lines. But in the Old Testament, the only person that can calm the chaos of the wind and the waves and the storms is God himself. You see that imagery in Psalms many times. You see it in the book of Job. You see it in things like the parting of the Red Sea. God is the only one in Scripture in the Old Testament that had that kind of power, that had that kind of influence, that could do that kind of thing. And that's why it leads to the disciples like, who is this guy? It's not like they just met him this morning and got on the boat with him. They've known him for a while. They've known he's special. They've known God's at work in him and through him. They've known that he might be the Messiah, but it's like, whoa, this is a whole different dimension. Who is he? Who is he? But Jesus is divine, and because of that, he can do something about the storms that we face. As I said earlier, things that are beyond our control are not beyond his control. And sometimes we need to cling to that like our boat has already capsized and we are just clinging to a piece of driftwood. That's the thing we're going to cling to. It's beyond my control, but it's not beyond his control. But also, turning to Jesus is the right thing to do in your storms, not just because he's human, because he's divine, but because Jesus always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Perhaps you've heard this before. If not, this will be kind of a little bit of a new light bulb popping in your mind. But what did Jesus say before or as they got into the boat? He said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's try to go to the other side. He didn't say, let's get in the boat and head across and we'll see if we make it. He said, let's go to the other side. To me, that's saying we're going to get there. To me, that's saying, I'm not literally promising you this, but we're going to get there. But we see that principle all through Scripture that Jesus keeps his promises. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus said at the end of the story, where's your faith? I said we're going to the other side. Well, I don't know about you, but if I was a disciple in those situations, I probably would have reacted the same way, so we can't be too condemning of the disciples. Things were so beyond their control 
And in their present understanding of Jesus, they probably weren't sure whether they were beyond his control. They literally thought they were perishing. But Jesus said, we're going to the other side. We'll get there. Can I tell you that Jesus will get you to the other side? Whatever storm you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's going on in your life, Jesus will get you to the other side. Now, I don't know what all you're going to experience between here and there. I don't know how long the storm's going to last. I don't know how long it's going to seem like Jesus is asleep and he doesn't care, although he really does care. He's there. God's care and concern is never out of the picture. God's got his purposes and plans for when we're going through the storms. But whatever you're going through, no matter how long it's lasting, no matter how much longer it might last, Jesus, if you put your trust in him, if you turn to him, he will get you to the other side. Because Jesus keeps his promises. It's so easy when we're in a storm to think that God's not paying attention, he's ignoring us, or he just doesn't care. Don't doubt God's goodness in the storm. Don't doubt God's goodness in the storm. You can depend on God's promises. He may not answer the way you want him to. He may not even answer when you want him to. But he will keep his promises. Now, a quick little warning. I always throw this in whenever I talk about God's promises. Make sure that if you're claiming a promise of God, it's a promise he's made to you. And it's applicable to you. There are thousands, I would venture to say, I've not sat down and tried to count them up myself, of promises of God in Scripture. A great majority of them are good for all of God's people of all of time. But some of his promises were made specifically to individuals. Some of his promises were made to his people, Israel, in the Old Testament that don't apply to us today because we're part of the church. We're part of the bride of Christ. So it requires a little bit of discernment and study of God's promise. Say, is this something that applies to me because I'm a Christian, because I'm a follower of Jesus? But once we have that assurance, we need to cling to the promises of God because God always keeps his promises. Claim them. Jesus will get you to the other side, whatever you are facing. In this case, Jesus chose to rebuke the wind and the waves and immediately got calm. But he could have accomplished the same thing, getting them to the other side in a number of other ways, couldn't he? He could have said, we're going to make it. Paddle harder. Let me help you bail. He could have caught up a specific wind that would have blown them really quick across the waves. He could have said, be still, and it could have gradually gotten calm. Why am I throwing all these out? Because we want our situation, I want my situation to be like this one. Not the storm, but when I'm in the storm, I call out to Jesus, and boom, immediately it's just taken care of. And I think sometimes we look at this story, and we call out to Jesus, and it's not immediately taken care of, and it's like, wait a minute, it's not working for me. What am I doing wrong? Maybe God really isn't paying attention. No. God works differently in different situations. In your storm, you may cry out to him and he may take care of it like that. He may have some other things that he's trying to work out in you or for you or in other people around you to bring you to the right place. And that storm may be there for another couple of days or a week or a month. We don't want to hear that, but it could. He may just decide the storm's going to be there, but I'm going to show you my faithfulness all the way through it. You will never capsize because I'm going to get you to the other side. But I'm going to show you my faithfulness all the way through it. And you're going to come out the other side. There was a song that was really popular 20-something years ago. The song was based on this story in God's Word. And it said basically something along the lines of, sometimes God calms the storm, but other times he calms his child. 
In other words, sometimes he calms the storm, it's gone. Other times you're going through the storm, but he puts his peace within you. He makes sure that you are being, you're able to be calm in the storm. And can I tell you that whatever storm you might be facing, or you're going to face tomorrow or next week, you can have peace in the middle of it. You can. Maybe slippery to hold on to, but you can. If you turn to Jesus, if you put your trust in him. And that brings us to the third and last point I want to bring from this story. Trusting in Jesus will give you confidence in your storms. Trusting in Jesus will give you confidence in your storms. How is that different to turning to Jesus? Well, turning to Jesus means I'm in the storm, I'm turning to him. Trusting in Jesus means I am walking with Jesus, I'm traveling with Jesus, and I am choosing to put my trust in him every single day. It's not perfect, still working on it, Sometimes my trust is stronger than others, but I am choosing to trust in Jesus. And as we trust in Jesus, it will give us confidence in our storms. If the disciples had known Jesus longer, if they were a little bit more spiritually mature, they're in process just like we are in process. If they had seen more, if they had just trusted Jesus more when the storm came up, they could have responded differently. They could have said, hey, Jesus has said we're going to the other side. He's with us. I don't like this storm, but we're going to get there. They could have come to us and said, hey, Jesus, um, by the way, you said we're going to the other side. This storm's kind of in the way. We can't do anything about it. It's beyond our control. Can you do something about it? Now, I know that's not the natural way to respond, but that's the whole point of this, is that if we truly trust in Jesus, we don't have to respond to our storms and our difficulties in the natural way because we have a supernatural resource at our disposal. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I said that deliberately, our relationship. I didn't just say the power of God and the power of Jesus. That certainly is true, but that is there because of our relationship with him. It isn't just an issue of calling out to Jesus when we're in trouble and then doing our own thing the rest of the time. He's a kind of a backup plan. He's, he's kind of there, you know, if it's not beyond my control, I got it covered. But if it is beyond my control, call Jesus. Now, can I tell you, we can call Jesus. Don't let that keep you from calling on Jesus. If you've been living your own life, you get into difficulty and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that to God. I'm not going to call him now when I haven't called on him before. Get rid of your pride. Admit, I should have called on you before, God, and I'm sorry, but I desperately need you now because God still loves you. That may be why the storm's there because he's, he's trying to get you to call out to him, to come to him. But our goal, if we're traveling with Jesus, is to develop this life of faith, to develop this life of not just calling to him when we're in trouble, but of trusting him all the time. And I think that that's what is behind this question when Jesus says, where is your faith? If we develop trust in our relationship with him, we're still going to face trials. We're still going to face difficulties. We're still going to face our storms, but it will be a whole lot easier. I don't mean the storms won't be as difficult, but we'll have his peace. We'll have that confidence. If this storm is here, you know, and it's not my fault, there's something I got to do about it. If there is, I'm going to do it. Then God's allowed it for some reason. He's going to get me through. And I'm going to come out better on the other side. And we have that confidence and we have that peace. You know, some Bible scholars say that this is an indication of this in Jesus' life is the fact he's able to sleep in the boat in the middle of the storm. Because Jesus ain't worried about nothing, to use terribly bad English. He's the son of the father. He's doing God's will. He's got an appointment on the other side of the lake. 
He knows he's going to get there. It doesn't matter what kind of storm stirs up in the natural or supernatural. It doesn't matter. He's going to get there. He's at peace. He's asleep in the storm. God can help us sleep in storms too. In fact, that's one of the things we hate about storms in our lives is laying in bed at night and we're worried and we're concerned and all these thoughts and the enemy puts extras in there and we can't sleep. Jesus had the ultimate relationship with God. He's God himself and that union with God the Father and the peace that is there that allows him to sleep in the storm. It becomes a picture for us that as we trust in Jesus, we can have that same peace. So Jesus asked this question, where is your faith? You know, we don't have the videotape of this story. Nobody had their camcorder. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Nobody had their cell phone recording the storm. And, you know, uh, you know John's saying to Peter, hey, John, hey, Peter, wake Jesus up. I want to get his reaction when he sees this storm. I'm, I'm recording it on my phone. We'll put it on, we'll put it on Instagram, okay? So, no, nobody did that. So we don't have the video. So when Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and waves, it gets all calm and he says, where is your faith? We don't know how he said it. So I'm just going to throw out here some opinions I have, okay? I don't think Jesus said, where's your faith? Can't believe you. I don't think he said it that way. I don't think, I think there's a little bit of rebuke there because we need it sometimes, right? So I'm not saying there's not a little bit of rebuke there, but I don't think there's a condemnation. I don't think there's a sense of, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with you guys? You guys, I think it's kind of like, where's your faith? I think it's a prodding question. And if you read the story of Jesus' life, there's a number of times Jesus asks his disciple that question. And I think it's each time, it's just his way of, again, a gentle rebuke. You know, do you not yet realize who I am? Do you not yet realize what I can do for you? Do you not realize that we're in the palm of God's hand? We're in the middle of his plan and it's all going to work out. There is a little bit of that. But I think there's that prodding of, okay, where's your faith at now? Where's your faith at now? Where are you putting your faith? It's that prodding to try to get them to understand. It's that prodding to get them to, to, to take another step of trusting him more. And can I tell you, I believe he asks us the same thing when we face our problems, when we face our storms. He says, where is your faith? Is your faith in yourself? Is your faith in your bank account? Is your faith in the physical strength that you used to have? Is your faith in the clarity of mind? Is your faith in somebody else or is your faith in me? The purpose of that question, I believe, is to help the disciples grow in their faith and we see it worked. Just follow the stories of the disciples, the ones that we can see in Scripture. Church tradition tells us other stories, church history. But even in Scripture, we see Peter and John are two of the disciples. They're fishermen. They're used to this bo- the boat. They're used to the storms. They're used to the sea and they've given up hope. But yet, later, after Jesus has died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, they are arrested for talking to people about Jesus. And their lives are being threatened by the Sanhedrin, the very ones that condemned Jesus to death and made sure it was carried out. And what are they doing? Oh, sorry that bothered you, but we got to obey God, not you. To paraphrase what they said. (laughs) You know what? Where's their faith? They learned. They grew. They matured. They're trusting God now. But it was a process, step by step. I think of the story in Acts chapter 12. 
when King Herod put James to death. A lot of people liked that, so he arrested Peter and said he's going to put him to death. And the night before Peter's supposed to be put to death, he's in jail. All these soldiers are surrounding him. they got extra soldiers because God's delivered some of these guys from jail before. And they want to make sure that doesn't happen. What is Peter doing? He's sleeping. If you knew you were going to be killed tomorrow in a horrific way, you think you would sleep very peacefully? I find it ironic that Peter's doing the same thing that Jesus was doing in the boat. Jesus was sleeping. He had full confidence in his father. He was doing God's will. Whatever happened, happened, but we're going to the other side. In the same way, Peter is facing the end of his life. (laughs) And he's asleep. He's at peace because he trusts Jesus. He trusts Jesus. Trusting in Jesus will give you confidence in your storms. I like what Paul talked about when he was kind of recounting the various things he's gone through and how he had chosen to respond to this because of his confidence in what God had promised him, because of his confidence that God was in full control, that whatever happened to him, nothing's going to happen to him that God doesn't allow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, he says, we have this treasure, talking about the gospel, the the abundant life, the eternal life that God has given us, the responsibilities we have to share that with others. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And she says, we're not really strong in and of ourselves. You know, drop us, we're going to break. Doesn't take much to cause us problems. But we've got this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, what's happening in us and through us, it's not me. I'm just lumpy, old, dried out, brittle clay. But it's God's power. And he goes on to say that because of that, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He says, we're going through some tough stuff, but you know what? God's in control. It will not ultimately defeat us. We're getting to the other side. So where's your faith? I'd ask you the same thing this morning. Where's your faith? When you face the storms of life, where's your faith? And if you're like everybody else that's human... You've got a certain amount in yourself. You've got a certain amount in your resources. You've got a certain amount in your physical strength, maybe your mental ability, a certain amount in others, and a certain amount in God. But what is your faith in God like? That's the key part. Are you truly, truly trusting in Him because all those other things can and will let you down? So as we wrap this up, I just want to ask you three questions based on these three points. Number one, are you traveling with Jesus? Again, the picture there being, do you have a relationship with him? And and you might say, well, why would I want to travel with Jesus if I'm going to face the same storms if I don't travel with Jesus? Well, I think the answer should be pretty obvious because you got Jesus on your side totally apart from the need we have for salvation and forgiveness of our sins that Jesus came to pay for. 
Who would not want to have that one that's with them through thick and thin that totally understands what we're going through, that loves us and cares for us and is going to take us out through the other side? Are you traveling with Jesus? There's a little known fact that I think people just kind of read over. I didn't notice it for myself until a couple years ago, and even then it's because it was pointed out to me. I don't know if I heard it in a message or read about it in a book. We're looking at the story in Luke. But Matthew tells this story, Mark tells this story, but in Mark's story, there's a little detail that's not in Matthew and it's not in Luke. In Mark, it said that when Jesus and the disciples got into the boat and he said, let's go to the other side, it said that there were other boats with them. Think about that. Jesus and the disciples are in the boat, they're going across, Jesus is asleep, storm comes up, but there's other boats. What happened to the other boats? You want to know? Ask God when you get to heaven. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say. I'd like to believe based on Jesus' character and all that kind of stuff, the other boats made it safely too. But to be honest with you, we honestly do not know. But we know what happened to the disciples because Jesus is in their boat. And they're traveling with Jesus, and Jesus said, we're going to the other side, and you guys are with me. We're going to get there. And so I ask you again today, are you traveling with Jesus? And I don't mean just that you're open to him, and you go to church, and you do this, that, and the other. You try to be a good, but do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you come to him as a sinner, saying, God, I am a sinner. My sin separates me from you. Your word says that because of my sin, I don't deserve to have a relationship with you. I deserve to be separated from you for all of eternity. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's word makes it very clear that when we come to him and say, God, I'm a sinner, forgive me of my sins. Save me thank you that your word said Jesus paid the price for my sins because I couldn't pay for it. That was the situation beyond my control, the ultimate situation beyond my control. So forgive me for his sake, not for mine. The Bible says he'll forgive us. Comes into our life. We begin to live for him. We say, Jesus, help me get rid of the sin stuff. It's what caused the problems to begin with. We begin to grow. We begin to learn to trust him. But today, are you traveling with Jesus? Maybe you've been wrestling with that question the disciples stated at the end. Who is this guy? Maybe you always thought that Jesus was some kind of special guy, but I don't know that he's really God and all that. But today's God speaking to your heart. He's confirming he is God and he came to earth to die for your sins. And today would be the day for you to surrender your life to him and come to him as a sinner in need of a savior. Second question is, are you turning to Jesus? Are you turning to Jesus? When you're in a storm, if you're in a storm today, are you turning to Jesus? Is he, your, is he your first resource or your last resort? It is true that we need to do what we can about the problems in our life. God wants us to be responsible. But we can turn to Jesus to get his help, especially when things are beyond our control. And I would say to you today that if you're facing a storm, don't let anything keep you from turning to Jesus. Whether it's pride guilt, shame, all those things. Even though you need to know you know you need to come to Jesus, it's like in your price, I'm going to handle this on my own. Or maybe guilt. 
How can I come to Jesus when I haven't been living for him? And I, in fact, I just blew him off and I just did all these things. Shame, very, very similar. Don't let anything keep you from coming to Jesus. The last thing is, are you trusting in Jesus? Where is your faith? Not just what is your faith in, but as you look at your faith in God, as you face the storms of life, if there's a scale of one to 10, I know we're trying to imagine things, where on that scale of one to 10 is your faith? I doubt anybody in this room has a 10 because we're all still in process. But the point is, are you growing in your faith? Are you learning to trust? Are you getting to that point where the storms come and you hate it? And at first it's like, ah, but you know what? God, I'm trusting you. And his peace resides in your heart. I challenge you to be growing to get to that place. Let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our elders, Pastor Jan, other members of the prayer team, if you're here, to come down. As always, our worship team is going to be leading us in a song. And you can respond in a number of ways. Everything's cool between you and Jesus. No storms on the horizon. You just want to worship. Worship. If you got something you need to talk to Jesus about, talk to Jesus about it. If you need prayer or want prayer for anything in your own life or somebody you care about, that's what we're here for. If you're not traveling with Jesus, you've not accepted him and come to him to be your savior, we would love to pray with you to see that happen. Don't wait. Come, let us pray with you about that. But let's take some time to respond to God's word right now. And in a few moments, one of us will come back up and pray, uh, uh, close the service in prayer. As we wrap up our time here together, I just feel led for us to pray for one another. How many of you would say, you know what, Pastor, I can really relate to what you shared today. I've been through storms, facing some storms, and I've been in situations like that where it's beyond my control. But right now, I got some stuff in my life that, that needs God's, I need God's help with. It's not really beyond my control. There's things I can do and I'm trying my best, but I really want God's help. How do you say there's some needs in my life I could just really use God's help with today? Many, many, many hands. Can we just pray for one another? Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we ask for ourselves that you would come into our situation and help us with what we're facing, Lord God. Maybe we need wisdom because we got the situation. We're not exactly sure what we're supposed to do. Show us what we should do. But Father, maybe we just need extra strength. We know what we're supposed to do, but it's hard. And Lord, we're supposed to do it. So we pray that you'd give us the strength that we need. But God, I thank you that even when there's something we can do and we're supposed to do it, you are there to support us, to help us, to strengthen us through the process. And I pray that would be so. And Lord, we pray that for ourselves. But Lord, right now, we just pray for our brother or sister, the one who's to the right of us. God, we join with them to say, you know what? We're in this together. We're in this boat together with Jesus. And Lord, I just pray for that person on that other side of me, Lord God. And I pray that you'd work in their lives and in their circumstance. I may know what's going on. I may not have a clue. But God, I pray that you would help them with whatever they're facing. And God, we pray for that person on the other side of us, Lord God. We pray that you work in their life in a powerful way. Father, whatever they're going through, and Lord, maybe stuff they're going to go through this week they don't even know about yet. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would touch them and help them. Father, thank you. And God, I pray that as we go out into our world, 
Some of us in the middle of storms, some having just come out of them. Some of us may face one this week and we don't even know about it. Thank you that we can go forth in confidence knowing we can trust you, that you're not asleep at the wheel, that you're not asleep in the back of the boat, that you really do care. You really are on our side. You're going to take care of us. You're going to take us to the other side, no matter what we experience along the way. I pray that we would walk in that confidence and have that trust and have that faith so that we can experience your peace. And Father, we thank you that it's available to us. God, we give you the glory and the honor. As we do that, I pray it's a testimony to the people around us. They'd see Jesus in us, and they would want what we have. And we'd have the opportunity to share that with them. God, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 